Our Father and our God, indeed, we are a people who love you. We love you because you first loved us. And where as our love is flawed, it's inconsistent, it has its ups and its downs, there has never been a more constant love than the one that you have for your people in Christ. And so I pray, O oh God, that you might remind us that we're loved. In, in those night watches when Satan would whisper in our ears otherwise, remind us now that we're loved. In the midst of all of the difficulty and sorrow that we're experiencing, the temptation is to think, maybe we're not yours. Remind us that we're loved. In the midst of a of a downturn in our careers and and a problematic family crisis, remind us that we're loved. We pray, O oh God, that as we gather for this time of worship today, that our response to that love might be greater love. Might indeed the love that we first tasted in Christ Jesus be the love that we demonstrate by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we, we thank you that in a world that begins to know nothing but hatred for one nation for the other, there's one place where we were always loved, and that's next to our mothers. We thank you that they, are, they, in a small way, model a constancy of love, and I pray that you will empower them, give them great stamina to love when we're so unlovely. Lord, we pray for our nation. She continues to face things that are hugely significant. And I pray that you will give great wisdom to people, to men, to women who are making decisions on our behalf. I pray that some, somehow righteousness might become important in the halls of Congress, in the halls of Washington. And I, and I pray, Lord, that you, you will get glory even from a nation that seems to have long since forgotten that you are our foundation. Thank you for all the ways that we enjoy prosperity personally, individually, as a church. Might, our, might the prosperity, the bounty that we enjoy uh, be used in a way that would please you. And I pray that even now, as we are about to give, that you remind us that our ability to make wealth is something you gave us. So all the wealth that we have is really yours. Use every gift for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Always will be
without that, couldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I had a, a PA system installed in me at birth. And, uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, from Mother's Day to Father's Day, we're going to look at family issues. Things that are germane to the whole functioning of a family. We, we won't be able to cover it all. There's all kinds of uh, items that we could include, but we just won't have time. But um, we're going to spend seven weeks just looking into issues that surround the home, surround the family. We'll start today. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Psalm 127. The, um, the last half of Psalm 127 is directed right at... Parents, follow as I read, beginning at verse 1, Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So the children of one's youth, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gates. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. I want to start this morning with a riddle. Here's the riddle. What is yellow, has feathers, lives in a cage, sings, and plays baseball? You give up? It's a canary. I lied about the baseball. Did any of you notice my, my sermon title this morning? Eight Simple Rules of Parenting. I lied about the eight. I only have seven. And I lied about the simple. There's nothing about parenting that's simple, is there? Uh, parenting is not for the, the faint of heart. Nothing simple about it. It's all complex. Folks, um... This morning, I make no pretense at being an expert, or, or even qualified, for that matter, or, or least of all, successful. I have my battle scars. I've been one, that is apparent, I've been one for 30 years. And I am behind this pulpit, which means that on Mother's Day, you expect me to say something that is of some... Uh, relevance concerning mothers, family, etc. So, um, I, I'm convinced it's imperative that the church not remain silent about issues like these. And uh, this is a complex one, folks, that we cannot afford to, um, to ignore. So, here goes. Eight which are really seven, simple, which really aren't, rules of parenting. 
You know, there's really only two things that a parent has to do. Only two things that that we as parents uh, need to provide. Now, the the uh, child experts will tell you that there's 3,467,517 things, but I've reduced them to two. Um, first of all, we have to provide an environment of safety and, and security and health. A, a healthy environment for which our kids, or in which our kids can grow. And, um, you know, one of those um, uh, stick together through thick and thin kind of environments. A home where, uh, you know, there's safety, there's security there. We, we, we need to provide one of those. And, and secondly, we need to prepare our children to, to leave the nest, uh, prepared to face all of the, the, the complexities of life, and to accomplish that uh, at a reasonable age. Now, for parents, that reasonable age is somewhere around 16, you know, and getting lower all the time. For kids, that age is somewhere around 29. And getting higher all the time. But in, in the hopes of helping you do those two things, I want to offer you seven very complex pieces of um, direction for, uh, for this task before us. I've arranged these in order of the simplest to the most complex. So we'll start with the simple. We'll end with the complex. Here's rule number one of uh, parenting. Rule number one, verbalize love. Now, gang, um, uh, let me tell you where that comes from. Uh, years ago, there was a family in our lives who had three daughters. Now, you know, most of you, I had three, we had three daughters. And um, so I watched this family who had three girls who were reasonably... Um, um, appropriate uh, young women. And, and so I was having lunch with this guy one day, and I, and I said to him, I said, tell me, what advice could you give the rookie? You know, the, uh, the, the guy wet behind the ears. I, well, what would you tell us? Because uh, we're trying to raise three girls like you raise three girls. And so he, 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 he told me a story at lunch that day about a visit that he made on a friend of his in Dallas, Texas. He was visiting somebody in Dallas who also had three girls. And so um, they were just visiting in the home, and he said, I never sat down with the head of the home to to receive instruction, but I watched him. I watched him as he communicated to his wife and his girls, uh, and he was constantly telling them he loved them. Uh, They would pass in the halls, and he'd say, I love you, and uh, they'd hang up from the phone, he'd say, I love you, and they'd get in the car, and they'd say, I love you, and then they'd close the door, and they'd say, I love you, and and they would, um, they were always communicating, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You know, those are some powerful words, aren't they, folks? Do you remember when you first said them? I mean, when you were dating? And how they kind of were very hard to get, they're hard to get off the lips, ladies and gentlemen, because they're so powerful. Because they're so profound, they're beautiful. They're, 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 they're fun to hear. So, when's the last time? When's the last time your children heard you say, I love you? Was it this morning? Could have been. I'm sure it was for many of you. I, I, how about this? When is the last time that your children heard, I love you, from daddies? 
We don't do it very. We don't, we don't do it as, as often as do mommies. We do, don't do a lot of things as well as mommies. But, but the point is, powerful words, beautiful words, very simple to say, and a um, a way to enhance a safe environment. Verbalize love. Here's number two. Here's rule number two. Spank. <laughs> now, guys, I, I uh, stand on very solid biblical ground when I, when I um, uh, give you that. The book of Proverbs is full of instructions, not invitations, not, um, not, not even advice. It's, it's a biblical directive. Spanking is a parental biblical directive. Um, let me read you. We don't have time to look at all of them. I, I, I'm going to read you just a couple, just my favorites. Here's one. It's in Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod. Now, you know the next word. I know you do. Um, you heard it. You've heard it all your life. He who spares his rod. But if you're thinking that the next word is spoil, then you got that from Benjamin Franklin. You got that from Poor Richard's Almanac because you didn't get it from the Bible. The Bible says, if you spare your rod, you, as you know, hate. That's what it says. It says right here in Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Oh, there's so much to be said about that, isn't there? Guys, sparing the rod is a demonstration not that you love. Um, This one's in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. It says, chasten your son while there is hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. Because if if you refuse to chasten, then you're inching him towards destruction. Chasing him while there's hope. You know, early on. From the very beginning. Here's the final one. And this is my favorite. Uh, This is in Proverbs 23. It says, Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. (laughs) Um, That's what it says. It says, go ahead. You know, there's something, there's a part of his anatomy that is uniquely designed to receive the blows of punishment. And it's not his face. But there is one spot back there. I mean, folks, go ahead. It says, uh, you know, do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. You know, I, I know that we all recoil from that word beat him. You know, like, like the Bible is kind of trying to promote some kind of child abuse, and and that's not what's in view here, guys, but it does instruct us very clearly that you have, take courage. They're not going to die. And and in the long run, it'll be one of the healthiest things that ever happens. You know, we parents, because we're so flawed, we err on one end of the spectrum. We're either too severe or too lenient. You know, uh, we know there's a lot at stake. We know that there's a lot, uh, you know, at stake for this little kid's future. And so, you know, we're going to beat it out of him. Well, that's not the right place to be. And then the other end of the spectrum is, 
we're, we're, we're so lenient that we blame ourselves for everything and find rationalizations for every piece of our children's behavior. Neither is that a biblical position, folks. I, I can simply, I mean, I, I hope you'll avoid both of those extremes, but I can tell you this much with, with great conviction. We do not have permission to eliminate spanking from our parental arsenal. In spite of what Dr. Phil may say or anybody like him, the Bible directs us that a part of the parenting procedure includes spanking. Number three, rule number three. In the midst of doing that, it's got to be, we got to make sure that we maintain self-control. That, that's number three. That we maintain self-control. Guys, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We Christians, we, po- we folks been bought with the price. We're supposed to be people who are manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And one of those fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Can you, can you see how that would be relevant? I mean, because folks, in the midst of administering corporal punishment, if you lose it, ah, then you did bad. You know, anger has a place, folks, but just not in spanking. You know, the Bible talks about uh, be angry but do not sin, but it doesn't have a place in the midst of administrating corporal punishment. There is no room for losing one's temper. You know, the, the Bible says, don't provoke your children to wrath. It says it a couple of times. Both Paul's statements, Pauline statements, one in the book of Ephesus, one in the book of Colossians. And uh, you want to provoke? You want to distance your, yourself from your children? You want to you artificially impose a distance? Then just lose it. And ladies and gentlemen, I can't tell you how many... Whew, it was always the worst in, in our home around homecoming. Or any kind of um, dance. It was, I mean, there was so much hormones flying in our house. Including mine. Gang. Um, in the midst of administering corporal punishment. Step into the bedroom and cool off. Gather yourself. Because one of the rules of parenting is we must maintain self-control. Anything short of that is going to negate and mute our, uh, our training. You know, we're, we're trying to train. We're not trying to vent. We're trying to instruct and not give, you know, just let it flop. Which some of us are more prone to do than others of us. Here's rule number four. Do not overparent. Now, gang, that's not a word that I made up. I found that word in, a, um, in an article that I found in the New York Times. This is a great little article. It's basically a, a book review. It's a book review by a woman by the name of Judith Shulovitz. And she's reviewing a book that was written by Judith Warner. You know the name Judith Warner? Judith Warner is the biographer of Hillary Clinton and Newt Gingrich. So that should cover all of you. Um, 
uh, she's written by, and then she's written this book entitled um, "Perfect Madness: Motherhood in the Age of Anxiety." Now, I, I'm, basically, this is a book review about that book written by Ju- uh, the book review is written by Judith Shulovitz, but she says a couple of things in here that that are just. Let me read you just a couple of snaps. I mean, they're they're really good. I think you'll like this. Uh, She says, in affluent America, mothering has gone from an art to a cult, with devotees driving themselves to ever more Baroque extremes to appease the goddess of perfect motherhood. Proof? She offers this. Parents no longer set up metal swing sets in corners of their backyards. They hire professionals to erect sprawling wooden castles that consume half their lawn. Parents line up at 5 a.m. to get slots in just the right neighborhood preschool. Parents bring their children to specialists upon noticing the slightest delay in speech or motor coordination. Um, Parents, desperate to maximize their children's level of attachment and developmental capacity, Turn marital beds into family beds. Ooh. Parents flash baby Einstein cards at their three-month-olds. <laughs> if you hadn't got any baby Einstein cards, they're in a little store right here on the corner that you can get them. Um, parents enroll toddlers in nonstop improving activities and give up quiet evenings at home to plan Girl Scout cookie drives. Um, she goes on. In a society that measures status in consumer goods and hard-to-come-by symbols of achievement, grades, awards, brand-name colleges, the scramble for advantage is bound to propel American upper-middle-class parents into exponentially goofier displays of one-upmanship. Try giving, listen, try giving your three-year-old an old-fashioned cake-and-balloon birthday party at home with neither facilitator nor gift bags. And you'll see that Warner's onto something and that it's harder to opt out than you think. Parents use their children to jockey for status. <laughs> I like that article. And uh, that's where I find the word overparent. Gang, in biblical terminology, it would go something like this. Obey the first commandment. You know what the first commandment is. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Um, folks, what we have, particularly what, what, in the areas in which we're found, is that we have parents who are identity-dependent. On their children. They derive their sense of identity from their children. Well, gang, may I encourage you to relieve your children of the unbearable burden of being the center of your life. Make sure they know that your joy is not wrapped up in them. We can say to our children, you can break my heart. 
But you cannot destroy my life. You are very important. But you're not all important. If I could just try to illustrate what I'm trying to say. Guys, when it comes to investments, here's what we do. Everybody's got a, you know, portfolio in this room. You know, we all got 401ks and yada, yada, yada. Uh, but um, when it comes to our investments, here's what we do. We take, a, we take a, a, an amount of money and we accept a, a level of risk uh, in, the, in the firm confidence that that's going to produce a, a, a level of um, return. Now, that's fine in investments. But it's not fine in parenting. Imagine this scenario. The dreaded 2 a.m. phone call from the police station. And on the other end of the line is a man telling you, could you come down and get your son, your 16-year-old son? We've arrested him uh, for um, breaking and entering. And so 30 minutes later, you come storming into the police station, and here's what we say. You can guess, can't you? After all we've done for you. And very honestly, guys, that's a pretty natural and normal response to that situation. Parents have spent countless hours and thousands of dollars and years of their lives And I want to know where's the return on my investment. We see what our children have done as an assault on our, on our sense of personal worth. My my value as a person depends upon the success of my children. Gang, one of the biggest areas of competition between us today is over our kids. Is it not? My kids, they need to, to, they need to keep up the family name. They need to, uh, you know, they need to, Maximize my reputation. They need to maintain the family image as opposed to bear the image of God. And children become debtors through no, no choice of their own. Um, they, they are obligated to give parents a, a sense of adequacy. And so children learn early on that I am less value, valuable than my performance. You know, guys, as a pastor, I, I watch from a distance as so many of you make choices and decisions that say, anything for my kids. Anything? Really? 
Will you sacrifice the health of your soul? Will you sacrifice the health of your marriage? You know, our homes, guys, were never intended to be kids-centered places of worship. Um, but I'm afraid that's uh, that's what they're hap- that's what's happening. Do this. Ask yourself. What won't I sacrifice for my kids? And then take a long, hard look at your schedule. In looking at that schedule, what things got prioritized and what things got deprioritized? And then ask yourself, Why? Is my worth tied to my kids' performance? That's called idolatry, folks. Or it's called overparenting. Here's rule number five. Time equals value. You know, you can forget about that distinction between quality and quantity time, folks. Your values are seen in how you spend your time and your money. I want to suggest this, and and I hope that you'll give it some thought. I want to suggest to you that some events in the lives of your children need to be missed As you seek to communicate to your children that God is the single highest priority and loyalty in your life. Gang, the goal is not perfect attendance. If I could tell you this story, it happened a couple of months ago out here in our lobby. Uh, It was, I forget which month it was, but it was on the night of our grace groups. You know, we have grace groups here once a month. It's usually on the first Sunday of the month. And it was, um, I was out in the lobby and I ran into a couple and, and I said, are y'all going to grace group tonight? They're not a part of our, my grace group. I have a grace group, but they weren't a part of my grace group. They were a part of somebody else's grace group. And I said, are y'all going to the grace group tonight? And, and the daddy said, um, no, no, I, we're, we're not going. Uh, you know, my boy, he's got a, got a ball game. Now here's a thought for you. What if you said to your son, Homer, you know I love watching you play ball. And you know, Homer, I've been to just about every game you play. But tonight, Homer, Mommy and Daddy need to be with God's people around God's Word. Tell me. What message do you think Homer would get from that? Do you think that he would get the message, I'm not loved? I don't think so. I I, I can't imagine. I, I think somewhere at the basic 
at, at, the, at the basis of his psyche, he would hear a message about, my daddy values something far above me. And do you? Our value system is communicated in the way we spend money and spend time. Would you like to pass on some of your value system to your children? Then let them watch you give. Let them help you write the check. Because they'll see, oh, my daddy, that's how much he thinks of the things of God. But perhaps even more important than that, let them figure out how you spend time. I say to you guys, I say with every fiber of my being, some of our children's events need to be missed. (laughs) I know that's heresy. But I'm telling you, we're trying to communicate values. And that's a way to do it. Here's here's the sixth rule of complex parenting. (laughs) When you blow it, Own it. You know, it's hard to confess to someone who is so much younger than you are. And and, and our desire, our desire to save face, oh, how well I know. Our desire to save face is so powerful that that what we call an apology is really no such thing. It's a mechanical exercise where we uh, apologize for the sake of form, but, um, but do it in a way that allows us to preserve our pride. Huh? And, and, and often, it's harder to confess to our children than it is to God. We, we Christians said we were sorry when we became Christians, and then we haven't said it again since. Say it again. Say it often. Humble yourself. Yep, even before your kids. Seek their forgiveness. And if you've sinned against them, tell them. Let them know that that sin is bad. When they do it, and when daddy does it. And so we come to confess our sin before people that we've offended, even when they're three. Here's my seventh one spiritual instruction is. Come on, dog. Come on up here. Are you, are you going to stay down there? Oh, dog. I want you next to me. You make me look good. Gang, according to Deuteronomy 6, spiritual instruction is a family responsibility, not the churches. I, I, I've run into people all the time who are, who are racing all around the city of Memphis trying to find a church with a youth group into which their kids can fit and be fixed. We can't do it. We can't do it. But we long to help you 
And I've asked Cindy Cole, who is the director of our children's ministry, to illustrate my point. The most important thing in a child's life is not his education. It's not his friends. And it's not his athletic ability. The most important thing in your child's life is his relationship to God. In our children's and youth ministries, we have 40 opportunities a year, 40 hours a year on average, to tell your children the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and to share with them the good news of the gospel of Christ. And we feel like... Over the years, God has been very, very faithful to us as ministries in taking those 40 opportunities a year and transforming young lives. However, the real responsibility is yours. Every child needs a parent in their lives every day of every week to help them understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ and to grow spiritually. Every child needs a parent to help them advance in their relationship with Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, we have 40 hours a year. You have 3,000 waking hours with your children. Every parent will have a spiritual impact on their children, whether for good or for bad. And every child needs a parent who will help them advance in that relationship. As parents, we are called to the principle in Deuteronomy 6 that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Memorize his laws. And tell them to your children over and over again. Talk about them all the time. Talk about them when you're at home, when you walk along the road, when you go to bed at night, and when you get up in the morning. The math is simple. 3,000 hours a year. No one has more potential or more responsibility to teach their children about God and a relationship with Christ than you. So that's why as a ministry we are going to partner with you and we're investing our future as a ministry in helping to equip you as parents to help your children on their spiritual journeys. And we are so excited about what the future holds for us. Guys, this is what we've got. This is what you've got. And it is our joy to try and help you with this. That's great. Our Father, I do pray that you'll use these feeble babblings of mine to instruct your people. That you will raise up an army of young men and women from our loins that will seek more than anything in their lives, the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, Cindy, and her ministry, Will and Elaine Savell in their ministry, Randy Ray and Stephanie Stroshine in their ministry, 
Jonathan Todd and his ministry use the rest of us as we seek to minister to a broader range. But might we become people whose highest loyalty in life is Jesus Christ and all of his beauty. We pray, of course, in his name. Amen.